In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Welcome to Madland is brought to you by Winview Games. I know a lot of you guys have played a lot of DFS and made wagers against the house. And sure, sometimes you win, but probably more than not, you end up losing. Well, I want to introduce you to a new app called Winview. It's truly the most winnable way to play. New users actually win 50% of the time. It's that easy to win cash. All you need to do is answer yes, no questions before the game and even during it to win. So, yes, they have live and pregame contests. You can play for free or real money against folks that you're smarter than. And you can play your first $100 risk-free, so there's no reason not to try it now. Use my link. It's winviewgames.com slash Matt. That's winviewgames.com slash Matt. Get there now. If you're an iOS user, that link will take you directly to the App Store. It's a no-brainer. winviewgames.com slash Matt for WinView. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. I would be Matt or Matlana. I didn't give myself the nickname. I earned the nickname. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. So I want to know about the uh, Greg Olson as like a, a 8 or 10 or 12-year-old. What kind of athlete were you? We know what baseball became, but were you a three-sport guy? Did you kind of hone in on baseball early? Well, actually, I'm going to go a little further, and I'm going to say I'm a four-sport guy. So. <laughs> In high school, you know, growing up, I, w- I played football, basketball, baseball. I actually played hockey. You know, I'm from Minnesota, so you got to play hockey. And I had a fifth. I loved to spend time like Huckleberry Finn down at uh, the Mehaha Creek. So uh, uh, I was an adventurous outdoor guy uh, and uh, enjoyed the sports, but also enjoyed the outdoors. So when did baseball become the game that either you fell in love with the most or that you found there could be a path to something more? Well, actually, in, in, once I got into uh, high school, uh, I think my true passion was, was football. I played football. Uh, I was a quarterback in, in high school. Uh, I was a point guard on the basketball team. And, and obviously, uh, you know, believe it or not, I, I played third base and I pitched in, in high school. Never caught until I was in college. But uh, I, I truly enjoyed uh, all three sports, but uh, probably – End of my junior year, I, I figured that uh, baseball was probably my best route uh, for some uh, scholarship opportunities in college. So what were the scholarship opportunities, and who came a-calling? Well, a uh, good friend of mine was two years older and, uh, that went to my uh, high school in Edina, Steve Rambler. He went to Oral Roberts University and, and told me how just absolutely wonderful Oral Roberts, the facilities they had. Uh, the uh, head baseball coach. So I tried my darndest to get an invite to come down for a uh, college visit and uh, to no avail. And uh, 
later that uh, probably in June, George Thomas was the head baseball coach at the University of Minnesota. He extended a half scholarship to me to play at the University of Minnesota, and and uh, I took him up on it and uh, enrolled in the, uh, to become a baseball player and a student at the University of Minnesota. So you were, a, I mean, a, like a seventh-round draft pick, if, if my info is correct. Like, that's pretty legit, right? So what was the conversation like leading up to the draft? Do you remember who you thought might be interested? Well, and, and, and really what happened is when I went to the University of Minnesota, like I mentioned before, I was a third baseman. So I went to the university as a third baseman, and, and my career changed uh for the better, and honestly, I would never have played in the big leagues if I wasn't a catcher, but George Thomas, who was a utility player for the Boston Red Sox, knew a little bit about <clears throat> positioning and and what what's best for each each uh, individual. The first day of winter practice, he took me in the office and said, hey, uh, have you ever put the tools of ignorance on and caught before? <laughs> I looked at him like, what are you trying to do to me? I mean, come on. I I have not put on those, and the only reason you want me to put those on is because we have 25 catchers or 25 pitchers, and only four catchers, and you want me to be, you know, a catcher in the bullpen. So I decided that that I would give it a try, and and uh, without that one conversation with George Thomas, I probably never would have made it to big leagues. Well, so tell me about your experience. Though you get drafted by the Mets, correct? Yeah, so I got drafted by the Mets. And uh, Terry Ryan was the Mets scout for for this area who ended up being the general manager for the Minnesota Twins. But Terry Ryan uh, uh, in the Mets organization drafted me. And, and, you know, after my junior year, that's your best year to go in the seventh round. Uh, The the benefit was – my catching prowess was was pretty good. Uh, I, I could flat out catch. Hitting, you know, was more of a punch and Judy opposite field hitter. But they they promised me they'd send me to high A ball right away in Lynchburg, Virginia. So I'd have to skip, you know, any rookie balls or any low A. I'd go right to to high A ball. And uh, I I thought with my parents this is the best opportunity for me. So I did sign and and went to A ball uh, that that summer. So the trek becomes, I'm, I'm sure, a daunting one in the minor leagues. So let's start there. First of all, do you remember the signing bonus and what was your first um, kind of memory of playing for money and professionally? Yeah, so the signing bonus back then in 1982 was $27,000, which allowed me to buy my first Chevy Citation. <laughs> so I got a chance to buy a Chevy, Chevy Citation uh, with the $27,000. Uh, I had a little extra uh, in the pocket and went out to Lynchburg. And you're, and you're right. I mean, you know, it was an eye-opening experience because once you get in the minor leagues, you find out very quickly there's some great talent out there. So I played a year and a half in Lynchburg. Then I then I was promoted to Double A Jackson. Played two years in Jackson. Uh, played uh, two years then in Triple A in Tidewater. Had a great uh, sixth minor minor league year in, in Tidewater. I was in the top ten in hitting, and the Mets at that time were just loaded. Gary Carter was was uh, their number one catcher. They had Ed Hearn, John Gibbons, who was managed for the Toronto. Uh, he was a number one draft choice, so it, it was very difficult to to move up in the ranks with the Mets. So they didn't put me on the forty man roster. I became a six year minor league free agent and. 
got an invite uh, to big league camp if I signed with the Minnesota Twins, my hometown team, and decided that was the best opportunity. So I spent the next year in Portland, Oregon for the Portland AAA Beavers. I did get a call-up just before the All-Star break. Uh, one of the one of the Twins players got hurt, and they called me up, and I got 15 days in the big leagues, and I thought I was on seventh heaven. I got my first <laughs> with the Twins, uh, and then I got set back down and didn't get called back up. So that ended the 1989 season. So I'm now basically seven and a half years in the minor leagues. And my wife and I uh, decided, well, we'll 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 try one more year. So I had a chance to sign with the Atlanta Braves and was invited to big league camp. And that was the year that they actually had a lockout. So spring training for the major league team did not start until after the minor league camp had already started. So I spent about a week and a half in minor league camp. They came to agreement on the new uh, MLB contract. I went to the major league uh, camp for about uh, about two weeks, and I got sent down. At that time, the Braves had uh, uh, a platoon situation between Ernie Witt and uh, Jody Davis. That's right, yep. And, and the third string catcher was a guy named John Russell. So I go down to AAA, go to Richmond, and the big league, the, the minor league season at Richmond started uh, like five, six days before the major league season because of the lockout. Well, I'm sitting in the dugout on the sixth game in Richmond, and uh manager taps me on the shoulder and says, you've been called to the big leagues. And I, I go, oh, you got to be kidding me. You know, they just had traded for a gentleman named Phil Lombardi from the Mets to be their third-string catcher, released John Russell. He was going to play outfield, infield, first base, whatever, and catch. So I, I fly to Atlanta and find out that Phil Lombardi, after getting traded to the Braves, went up to Bobby Cox, who was the general manager at the time, went into his office and said, Bobby, I'm tired of baseball. I quit. So I get the biggest break a guy could ever want. You know, I'm going to be in the minor leagues basically the whole year, no question. Phil Lombardi quits. I get called up. But they still have Jody Davis and Ernie Witt, platooning left-hander, right-hander. And I'm the last guy in the team to play. And we happened to be in Cincinnati on a Sunday. Nick Kosaski was our first baseman, and he got hurt on Saturday night. So Russ Nixon was the manager, and he decided to put Jody Davis at first and let let me catch a guy named uh, Tom Glavin. Never heard of him. Never heard of that guy. (laughs) But, you know, Tommy was only, I think, in his second or third year. And... Uh, Tom Browning was pitching for Cincinnati. I went one for three. We won the game. Tommy Glavin liked the way I caught him because I, I had a unique catching style where I really caught low, put my butt on the ground, the whole the whole deal. So he went to Russ and said, God, I'd like Olsen to catch me the next time I start. Five days later, we're in Chicago. I go three for five. We win the game. I hit a home run. And Jody Davis is hitting about a buck and a quarter. <laughs> So, so Russ, knowing how we weren't a very good team, Russ knows his his job's on the line. So he puts me in the line a couple more times, and I get a couple more hits. Things are going well. Jody's still hitting a buck and a quarter. They release Jody Davis. So now it's Ernie Witt and me. 
Oh, and this is great. What a what a great life this is. Three days later, Ernie Witt breaks his thumb in a home plate collision. Now I'm the top dog. I'm number one guy. And at, at the All-Star break, I'm hitting 300. One player's got to go to the All-Star game. Roger Craig says, well, let's take that Olsen guy to the All-Star game. So now I'm, I'm playing the All-Star game. So it was a whirlwind. Couldn't have gone better. And that's how my major league career started. Folks, I want to introduce you to a new partner here at Welcome to Matlana. It's my friend Holly Ramey from Mickey Travels. A travel planner is a great friend to have. And if you're like me, we got winter break coming up in a couple of weeks and then spring break and then it's summer vacation. You could be planning that vacation of your dreams, but that's a stressful job. Finding the best deals, understanding all the new travel protocols, not easy. Well, getting in touch with Holly Ramey at Mickey Travels will make that process so much easier. Whether it's booking your next trip to Disney, checking out that all-new Disney Genie system, which is intimidating, or knowing the current protocols if you're traveling abroad. Whether it's a cruise vacation, a beach trip, the Caribbean, or Disney, Holly will help you do it all. She's a certified travel planner working for you, making the vacation planning process stress-free and hassle-free. And speaking of free, this is a 100% free concierge vacation planning service. You don't pay Holly a thing, and she plans the vacation of your dreams. Plus, Holly also knows where to find some of the best deals. You can end up saving money in the long run. My family's been working with her, and she's done a great job for us. She can do it for you. I want you to log on to the website. You can check her out at mickeytravels.com or directly get in touch with her at holly, H-O-L-L-Y, at mickeytravels.com. That's holly at mickey, M-I-C-K-E-Y, travels.com. Free service. She'll have your back making that vacation of your dreams possible today. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at rose-group.com. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, uh, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. The dailydraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like trivia night, kids eat free night, and more. The dailydraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love the Daily Draft. Well, I want to I want to follow up on a, on a good bit of that because I find it fascinating. Number one, um, you wouldn't have cared if you were playing in Siberia if you were in the majors. I get that. But Atlanta, as you said in 1990, the Braves were, I mean, still a rebuilding team that was a mess. What did you know about the team when you come over to the organization? Did you you're in the minors, so you saw some of that talent coming through? How good did you think the team could be, and what were your kind of initial thoughts there? Well, you know, there's no question when I when I signed a minor league contract with the Braves to to go to big league camp, I know 
I knew that they had some really good young talent. I mean, you, you hear the story about you know the trade for Alexander for John Smoltz, and you know he's just this young punk from from uh, Michigan, but you know he's got great potential. Tom Glavin, uh, he he had some great potential. We, I mean, the pitching staff, even Pete Smith, you know, uh, was well uh, regarded. So I know they had some upcoming talent, but very young. Uh, but, you know, when you play seven, eight, seven and a half years in the minor leagues, you don't care how or where. You just want to get to the big leagues. And you did that. So tell me about the city itself. You know, you spent time in Minneapolis, these minor league stops along the way. What did you think about Atlanta? It was still, I, in my mind, you know, Greg, I'm 13, 14 at that point. We were still kind of a small city, right? Not yet the Olympic city and all those type of things. What did you think about the just living in the city of Atlanta? Well, the city of Atlanta, I mean, it was growing at that time leaps and bounds. There's no question. It was well spread out. Uh, it, it's more of a transient city, so, you know, you get some of that southern charm, but you also have a lot of people transferring from all over the country because of the corporations that were in, in Atlanta. Um I just know, you know, playing in 1990, and we were the worst team in the National League. And to see a city and how it reacted to a potential championship team, because they were yearning, football, basketball, baseball, you name it, they wanted a championship, world championship team. And when we went on that run in 1991, uh, it was – electric i always I, I visualize i remember you know it was back and forth with the dodgers up one game even down one game we had a sunday day game in atlanta in august uh pennant race was was in, in just everybody's all, all they were worrying about was what, what were the Braves were doing. So a Sunday day game, playing the Dodgers. It was Tomahawk Chop Red Foam Day. I know I think they gave out thirty thousand of these, you know, Red Foam Tomahawks. And Sid Bream hit a grand slam in the first inning. And I've never heard a more eerie sound in sight when people are, you know, doing the the oh chant with those Red Foam. It was. It was something I'll just never forget. Well, it was it was a football atmosphere for a baseball game. I mean, that's it what was. It, yeah. yeah, we were we were getting forty to fifty thousand fifty thousand people a game. It was just phenomenal. So well, let me get back up for one sec though, because you were very quick, and I you strike me as a very humble guy. But the, the All Star appearance, nineteen ninety. If memory serves, that was Wrigley Field. It was a rainy night. I, I remember again being that teenage years, wanting to stay up because you wanted to see your brave representative every year. And for us in the eighties, it was Murph pretty routinely and. You know, once in a while you get a Horner or somebody else. But take me back to the memory of walking into that clubhouse 1990 as the All-Star and, and getting an A-B in that game. Well, I was like a kindergartner in there. I mean, I just, I just, my eyes were wide open. All of a sudden I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in the clubhouse with Ryan Sandberg, Daryl Strawberry, Barry Larkin, Barry Bonds, all these great National League players that, that I've always watched, and and now I'm part of the team on the on, on the All Star team. It was incredible, you know. And and in Minnesota, I would work out with some of the Twins players. Kirby Puckett and I got to know each other, and Kirby's on the other team. And I'm going, Are you kidding me? I, I'm on the National League All Star team opposing Kirby Puckett, who 
what I think is one of the best players in all of baseball. This is this is this is really a dream. So it was a sensational weekend. Uh, the other the other storyline was was Greg Olson, the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> You know, closer was on the American League team, and I was on the National League team. And to go further, my name is Gregory William Olson. His name is Greg William Olson. His middle name's the same as mine, so it's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. Um, all right, so let's fast forward. Do you know after 1990, like even with the All Star appearance, that you're coming back for 1991? What was the the professional side of the game once '90 was done? Well, I mean, there's there's no question when you're a six-year minor league free agent, uh, most management organizations, more baseball management teams will go, well, there's got to be a reason that he didn't get in the big leagues for six six years. So they always look to replace kind of guys like me. So they, they uh, signed a free agent Mike Heath, after the 90 season and he was supposedly going to be the number one catcher and I was just going to maybe be, you know, the backup catcher, which to me, you know, I, I had been fine with, I'm as competitive as anybody and I want to be the number one guy and I want to prove to them I'm still the number one guy. So they, they, they signed Mike Keith and he had some injury issues and I proved that I still was the number one guy. So going into 91, I knew I was going to play 100-plus games. And, uh, I mean, I, I'd be lying to you if I said, you know, at the beginning of the season we thought we were going to be, you know, in pennant contention. We still had some very young, highly qualified talent, but uh, we, in most of our opinions, weren't a playoff-caliber team to John Shareholt's benefit he signed Sid Bream and Terry Pendleton those were the two you know key acquisitions that uh, they signed for the 1991 season and he couldn't have picked two better guys their leadership quality in the clubhouse was by far the best I've seen in any uh, sports organization that I've I've uh, played with so with the addition of those two guys and and a resurgence right after the All-Star break, where I think we won nine of the first ten games after the All-Star break, and the Dodgers lost, lost like six of nine because we were eight and a half games back at the All-Star break, and within ten days we were like three games back. I mean, it was that fast. And it, that's when the light switch came on for all of our players. We came into that clubhouse on a daily basis thinking we were the best team in the National League West. And from then on, it was a dogfight. You know, you have David Justice, you got Ronnie Gant. We had some players that played above their above their potential for a period of time that propelled us to, the, to uh, win, win our division. Well, let's talk about some of the personalities, and I'll start with the pitchers, though. I mean, because you're talking about a young Glavin at that point who would go on to Cy Young after Cy Young. Smoltz, who had the first round, first half struggles in the second round turnaround. Avery, who had just had that small taste in 90 and was making his jump in 91. So give me your thoughts on that group, catching them, and how quickly did you see that there were some special opportunities from them? 
Yeah, I mean, you got to give uh, Charlie Liebrand some credit, too. We call him the old codger for a reason. You know, he's been there a long time, and, and he knows how to pitch. Uh, I think he really helped out Avery uh, as well as Glavin, but I think Avery being a young guy, I don't know, think he even shaved at that time. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, Lee Brent really took him under the wing and helped him out. You know, Schmoltz, I think he was 1-11 in the first half, and I'll, I'll tell you the story. Here's the story. The truth of the story is uh, I'm really good friends with John, and our families are good friends. So at the All-Star break, we went and uh, rented a cabin at Lake Altoona. And we rented this pontoon boat, and we went out in the pontoon boat. And I'm an avid fisher, and he, John, he doesn't even know how to bait his hook. And and he's got this rubber worm on the back of his line, and I'm and we're going, I'm taking the pontoon basically across the middle of the lake. And he's got his pole and his line out as I'm cruising along, and I'm going, what in the heaven's name are you doing? You're not going to catch a fish out here in the middle of the lake, you know, trying to run a plastic worm on top of the water. Well, sure enough, he catches a four and a half pound bass. <laughs> And as soon as he caught that best, I looked at him and I said, Schmolzer, you might not lose a game the rest of the year because what you just did is impossible. So now I think you're going to win the rest of your games the rest of the year. And sure enough, he he just was lights out the rest of the year. So that bass was the turning point for John Schmoltz. Don't don't let him tell you any difference. You know what? I, I had him on the podcast earlier, and he didn't bring up the bass. So see, you learned he something did. new. The next yeah. time you need to ask him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about some of the personalities. You mentioned Justice, Gant, Dion was there. Uh, Terry and Sid. Um, start with Dion because it always seemed you guys had a really great chemistry when you guys were together. Yeah, I mean Dion. Uh, Dion happened to be my locker bait, and uh, just listening to Dion's stories and and you know uh, how how he was raised and you know some of the difficulties he had with the media. Uh, you know, I talked to him about that. But but as far as a teammate, Dion would do anything for anyone at any time. He did not like the media, and uh, it's well documented. But for as a teammate, he was as uh, joyful a teammate as you'd ever want. Uh, lived the life to the fullest, but uh, was very giving person. So Dion was a was a was a special talent. And I'll tell you, you know, we had Otis Nixon on the team, and Otis is about as fast as anybody in, in the major leagues. Dion, from home to third, was the fastest ball player I've ever seen. And worth the price of admission to watch him run from oh, home yeah. to third. Yeah. Uh, tell me about Justice, because we know the talent. There were some you know, times he could be prickly with the media, too, and, and certainly that came a little later. But what was he like in the clubhouse in that time? So I always, I always say, you know, you, you have to have these different chemistry uh, personalities in your clubhouse. David was a no-nonsense guy, and you need one – no more than two, but you need one of those guys in, in, your, in your clubhouse because he's the guy that will just tell it like it is. If somebody's out of line, he'll just go up to him and say, hey, you're out of line. You know, he's to the point and direct and doesn't sugarcoat anything. And, yeah, I mean, you know, he backed it up with how he hit and how he played in the field. So uh, he was definitely a huge benefit for us. Well, I remember Pendleton, and I had Terry on the podcast, and Pendleton said he knows how good Justice is, but when he got here he saw a little chip that was going on with some contract stuff, and David, he said, was not in spring training, fully invested the way he did. And to your point, uh, Greg, you said how good of a leader Terry was. He says, I walk into the clubhouse with, with David, and he just literally lays it down and says, this is what we need you to be, and you've got to be able to – put that other stuff aside like you need to have a justice type but as you said you gotta have a terry type as well 
Oh, no question. The Terry types and the Sid Breen types are uh, essential when it comes to championship caliber teams. Um, they had both experienced the playoffs. They would have, uh, you know, some really nice conversations with certain people and, and informing them exactly what to expect, how to handle yourself, and how to prepare. Uh, so, you know, if, if, I had to, if I had to say, okay, we had some great talents, and Terry Pendleton that year was the National League MVP, and rightfully so, but if, if for me, the two MVPs of our teams were, were Terry Pendleton and Sid Bream, because not, not only what they brought on the field, but what they brought in the clubhouse. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, uh, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. Hey, I'm Holly, a local business owner and busy mom of three. Look, I don't even remember the last time I took an uninterrupted shower. I definitely don't have time to shop for the best insurance rates. That's why I called The Roads Group. As an independent agency with relationships with multiple providers, they have the expertise I need to get the best coverage at the lowest rates. Check them out at roads-group.com. That's R-H-O-A-D-S-group.com. Folks, I'm not a great sleeper. I never have been. I need everything to be just right to get the best night's sleep possible. One of the things that I need to be just right is my pillow. And guess what? It's right now. Thanks to MyPillow.com, and I tried the MyPillow Premium. It's been a game changer for me. I went with the MyPillow Premium because I wanted the right neck support. I was tired of the old pillows going flat on me. And thanks to Mike Lindell, who invented the MyPillow product, which took over two years to develop because he wanted to make sure everything was perfect with the pillow that we all were going to need for the best night's sleep. Well, that's just one of the great products that MyPillow.com has available to you guys. And I want you to go to MyPillow.com right now. You can look for yourself and see the perfect pillow for you. But now Mike's changing the game with his six-piece towel set. This set is made with USA Cotton, making it extremely exorbitant, yet still providing you the soft feel and the look you want in your towel. The set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths, typically retailing for $109.99. But for a limited time, you can get this set for the low price of just $39.99 with promo code MATT. Promo code M-A-T-T. Remember, all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special to get this insanely low price of just $39.99. On the towel set, you'll find other deep discounts on all other MyPillow products as well. Enter promo code MATT at MyPillow.com. 
So take me down the stretch. You mentioned you and the Dodgers. One game up, one game down. The city was riveted late nights. People going to work bleary-eyed and tired because it was unlike something we had really ever seen. You guys end up winning either on the last day of the season or the second last against the Astros. You're catching Smoltz on that uh, afternoon game at, at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Describe the atmosphere, your whole day. What are you thinking about with a chance to do something the Braves hadn't done at that point in almost a decade? Yeah, so, you know, it was the second to last game of the year, and, and we're one game up. And Johnny, John Smoltz was pitching, and, of course, unlike today, he goes nine innings, fly ball to right field, <clears throat> Justice catches it. Johnny John turns around. I start running towards him, and you know I just you get, you just get in that moment, and I just leaped in the air, and he caught me, and it ends up being on the cover of the Atlantic Constitution. It was a very uh, memorable picture, right? So everybody always, oh, how come you, John didn't jump in your arms? And I say, listen, if you catch John Schmoltz for nine innings, you don't have enough energy to, to carry anybody. So I had to jump in his arms. So that was, you know, that was that was the end of that game. And then if you recall, we had to sit on the field yep. watching uh, the Megatron, seeing what San Francisco, San Francisco beat the Dodgers, which they did, and then we celebrated. But the atmosphere was just tremendous. So how do you go from, because that celebration has got to be unbelievable, and personally for you, the fight just to stay in the game, get to the bigs, now your team is in the playoffs. As a team, it's un, it's you know an amazing story. But, Greg, you guys had to turn the page pretty quick because you've got a, a Pirates team. It's Bonds and Bonilla and Van Slyke and Drabeck. So how does that turnaround happen so quickly? Well, I mean, we fortunately – got to rest our last game the starters did and then it's just right into into playoff mode you know you go through your scouting reports and yeah they had they had a great team great team the, the killer bees were there and you know they had a good pitching staff it was smiley and Drebeck and and uh you know we actually were down uh three games to two when going to pittsburgh so not very many people were giving us much of a chance and fortunately you know steve avery was the uh mvp of the nlcs that year because he threw i don't know 18 20 scoreless innings in a row so he he pitched game six through eight innings no runs we score a run in the eighth pina comes in in the ninth shuts him down we won one nothing and then you know game seven anything happens and i think we scored three runs in the first inning in the game seven schmaltz was pitching and and it was lights out again so it was on to minnesota in the world series that's back home for me and i couldn't have been happier well it's crazy and it's worth noting too you hit 333 in that nlcs eight hits 24 at bats three runs you hit a home run at four ribs and here's my favorite the greg olsen stolen base in that series Oh yeah, so I've I've got a stolen base in the NLCS, and I did get a stolen base in the World Series. So you know I have a couple of buddies back home, and they go, uh, "How many home runs you hit?" And I said, "Well, I hit 20 home runs." And they go, "How many stolen bases? You're a catcher. You didn't get any stolen bases." I said, "Listen, I got a stolen base in the World Series. How about that action?" <laughs> so, so I didn't, I didn't steal too often, but you know it's one of those things. If they're not going to pay attention to me, and I can get a big jump and help the team and get advanced to second, those are the things that you know. Bobby would would allow us to do as long as you were 100% you're going to make it. Because if you weren't going to make it, you'd be visiting Bobby. I imagine. Uh, Game 7 again, you had another celebration with Smoltz uh, on a ground ball to Brian Hunter that ended that game. How different, how similar was the one just a week or so earlier when you clinched the division? Well, the, the first one was total elation celebration. The next one was 
oh, my gosh, we're going to the World Series. And I jumped in the arm, arms, and, you know, John John and I to this day, we, we, uh, we talk about it should have been the trivecta because if you think about it, we I jump in his arms to win the division. I jump in jump in his arms to win the NLCS. And who's pitching in Game Seven of the World Series? John Smoltz. So we were just one run away from having the ultimate trivecta of me jumping in his arms three times. Let me ask you about the World Series now. First of all, did the, from the Minnesota <laughs> side, what was it like for you as the now the the Brave in the bigs, you said you had three games with the Twins. You were there for a minute, but you grew up there. How surreal is it going back in there for games one and two of the series? Well, you know, growing up in Minnesota, uh, I was a huge Twins fan. I used to go to the old Met with some of my buddies and uh, worked out with a lot of the Twins, played with the Twins, you know, in, in 89, got my first cup of coffee in the in the big leagues with them. So, I, you know, I know most of those guys. I know Herbeck and Harper and and uh, 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 you know, Laudner, Smiley, all those guys. Uh, I worked out with most of those guys when I was in the minor leagues. So to go back home, I didn't stay at the team hotel down, down, downtown. I stayed at my house in Edina, uh, where we had a house. And my my number one recollection was, you know, all the players have the opportunity to purchase. We don't get free tickets for playoffs or the World Series, so you have to purchase them. So a lot of the, my teammates did not – have someone coming to Minnesota, so I purchased as many tickets as I could, and it was around 50 tickets. And when you buy tickets, you have to buy tickets for games one, two, six, and seven at one time. It's all package thing. So I got 50 tickets sitting on my dining room table because when we when we won in. Pittsburgh, we had to fly right back to Minnesota. We had a workout day, and then World Series started the next day. So it was fast, fast, fast. So I got these 50 tickets on my dining room table. And I was so anxious for the game to start. So this is the morning of game one. We got these 50 tickets. We got you know, 15, 20 different people coming over to the house to, to get their tickets. I had to leave because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I I just didn't want to. I did. I just. I was. My mind was just scrambled, ready for game one. So I left. Actually went hunting in the morning. Went pheasant hunting in the morning. Came back. Went right to the park. But having those fifty. T- 50 sets of tickets on the on the dining room table was just awesome to look at. Yeah. Um. So take me to the point when you guys come back to Atlanta. You're down two zero, which. It seems like a big hole at the time, certainly, but it did not, Greg, slow down any of like the chaos that was awaiting you guys. The city of Atlanta was on fire for its first ever World Series home game. How much of a blur were games three, four, and five from the atmosphere to the fact they were all one-run games again? Yeah, and and, and actually game three and four were, you know, it was just electric. The town... So I mean, it was crazy. So to win Game Three, how we did, and win Game Four, how we did, and dramatic last at bat, you know, it just it just pumps you up. And actually, Game Game Five, I think we blew them out. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So that was the only game we blew them out. So now, you know, we win the two close games, so it gives us gives us some some energy and 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 provides mindset that hey. We got a really good chance to win this thing, and then all of a sudden you're going to Minnesota and going, you know, all you got to do is win one game. 
Just win one game. Now, in 87, the Twins, because, you know, playing the Metrodome, and the Metrodome is a little bit of a different animal of a stadium, as everybody knows, with the white Teflon roof. But when the Twins won the World Series in 87, they won all four games at home and lost three on the road. So now, you know, going in there, you're going, oh, my gosh, can somebody beat the Twins one time in the Metrodome? We thought we were the team. So you go into you go into game six, and what a what a dramatic game that was. I mean, it doesn't get any better. Joe Buck, you know, with the famous call, and I'll see you tomorrow night when Kirby Puckett hits the home run. And then it goes into game seven. What else? I mean, when you grow up as a kid, you're playing wiffle ball in the backyard. You're you're either talking about playing in the Super Bowl or playing in the World Series. And I get a chance to to play in the World Series in a Game 7. It's just incredible the feeling you have. How were the nerves going into that game? You know, honestly, I I can tell you in Game 1, the first two innings of Game 1, I could barely feel the ball hit my catcher's mitt. That's how numb I was. But something in you, and I think everybody feels, all the players feel this, something after that, you just it takes over your body and you start playing the game that you're used to playing for 162 times in a regular season. So honestly, after the first two innings of, of game one, I wasn't nervous at all. I just was playing the game that, that I was so uh, uh, versed into playing. And game seven, I just I just couldn't wait for the game to start, but I really wasn't that nervous. Uh the fans were way more nervous than the players. I can I can promise you that. Well, Smoltz told me he's like I used to take naps before big games, and I I couldn't get over the fact he said I'd find a corner in the clubhouse somewhere and just kind of, you know, fall asleep. Which to me, I, I just it sounds ridiculous considering the stakes uh, of the moment. And we know what happened with John and Jack Morris that night, which is remarkable. The sad part is somebody had to lose that game. You guys yep. had the opportunity. How long does it take you? Do you ever get over how close you were in not winning that game? Yeah, I mean, there's always times that I still think about it. And, you know, would my life be different? I don't think so. Uh, did I get the opportunity to play in one of the uh, the best World Series in, in the history of the game? No question. Um, would it be nice to have a World Series ring instead of a national championship ring? Absolutely. But you know what? I have no regrets. I really don't. Uh, it, was, it was a true miracle season to, uh, for the Braves that year. And, and, and believe it or not, you know, uh, the Twins were in the same position. They were the worst team in the American League in 90. We were the worst team in the National League in 90. So it was a worst, a worst, worst, the first series. And they just happened to uh, uh, get one more run. So how does the celebrity status of Greg Olson change in the city of Atlanta after that game, after that season? Well, um, you know, when you're in the minor leagues for seven and a half years, and you get an opportunity that that was brought to our all of our team. For me, I enjoyed the public. I enjoyed doing uh, commercials, McFrugal rental car commercials. <laughs> I even got to do a McDonald's commercial. I enjoy that kind of. Stuff. I enjoy meeting people. Uh, uh, you know, I'm very humble that I had this opportunity to to play in the World Series and play in a championship team. And the city of Atlanta just ignited, and and the love that they gave the players was second to none. So I tried to do as much as I could in the community. Uh, I always tried to sign as many autographs as I could, do anything I could to benefit some people that might be going through some harsh times. To me, that's just something that, uh, as athletes, we have to do. 
or right. should do. Yeah, you certainly had a bunch of great moments. Unfortunately, we all remember the injury if you're old enough in 1992. Um, take me through that and just what is your mindset when that happens? Are you able to kind of, you know, in your mind realize I'll be back or do you think at my age, I don't know? How does that play out? Yeah, I mean, you know, the issue when you play seven and a half years in the minor leagues, and I was a 29-year-old rookie, uh, actually turned 30 in my rookie year, you know, your years are numbered. Uh, you know, not too many players play past, you know, 32, 33, 34 years old. So in, in 92, in September, I don't know, we had like a eight or nine game lead in September, so it was basically over, and we're playing the Houston Astros. Ken Kamenei's on third base, shallow fly ball to right field. And it was worst-case scenario. It was right down the right field line. Justice threw it in. Kamenetti should have probably not even have tagged because I think the score was 4 or 5 to 1. We were ahead. They shouldn't even have tried to go in, uh, tag and go into home. Uh, Sid cut it off, threw it to me, and I think I had two-tenths of a second by the time the ball hit my mitt. And Ken Kamenetti played uh, middle linebacker on me and, and just knocked me over. And, you know, I didn't know how severe it was until Bubba, our trainer, came out, and he felt my ankle and – and he looked me in the eye and said, uh, I said, Bubba, oh, is sprained ankle? He goes, uh, let me get the doctor, right? So he says, now the doctor comes out of the, you know, behind the home plate, feels around a little bit, and the doctor says, well, let's put an air cast on it. And, oh, by the way, you got to put a neck neck brace on him. And I said, no, 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 no neck brace. I said, my wife just flew to Arkansas today to go visit her mom. And she's watching on TBS, and if she sees a neck brace on, she's just going to come right through the TV. Doc said, no, you got to do it. you got to do it. we got to put it on. I'm, go- I'm thinking, oh, my God. So they put the air cast on my leg. They put the neck brace on me, and, the, you know, the golf cart ambulance little thing comes out of right field corner, picks me up. So I'm thinking, how am I going to tell my wife I'm fine? So they start taking me down uh, the first baseline. And I do the tomahawk chop. Yep. It was a Friday night, and it was just packed. I do the tomahawk chop, and the fans just go absolutely crazy. I'm going, oh, I'm just trying to tell my wife I'm fine, <laughs> but the fans are going crazy. I think this is great stuff. So, you know, I, I went out, and they took me in, and, and, you know, my season was done. But, you know, I made a, I committed myself to doing whatever I had to do and rehab and, and getting ready for the 93 season. And, and lo and behold, I was ready to go on the you know, first day of the 93 season. I will say one of – and that, you're right, the Tomahawk Chop. I'll never forget you doing that going down the line. The other memorable thing is in the uh, Game 7, the late moments – with you and Dion sitting there and you're rubbing the cast and, you know, whatever you could do for some, some good juju and some good luck. Um, how tough was that for you? Certainly you want to be a part of it, but just have to sit there and the drama of that game, both six and seven, right? You guys had the lead coming 3-1 from Pittsburgh. They they put a big, nu- uh, big number up in game six, but game seven with the comeback is – I mean, as remarkable a moment as anybody has ever seen. Yeah, I mean, as as far as dramatic finishes, that'll go down in the top five for sure. I mean, Sid Bream chugging around from second base, scoring. Francisco Cabrera, who, you know, we're, we're in the dugout going, take a pitch, because I think it was, uh, I think the count was two and one, or it might even been three and one, but I think it was two and one. And we're, we're in the dugout going, take a pitch, take a pitch, walk, 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 right? And... He swings, hits hits the left field, and, and, I mean, what goes through your body is you, you just can't feel yourself. So I'm sitting in there. I got this full body, you know, it's a full leg cast all the way up to my hip. And I got crutches in the dugout. Sid scores. The place goes crazy. I hop out the second base <laughs> without my crutches. 
And the adrenaline going through my body is something I've never felt. I get out to second base to, to you know, congratulate Frankie for, for the hit. And now I'm at second base, and I got no more energy. <laughs> and I literally fall down at second base. So then Dion, nice guy that he is, he helped me back to the dugout. But uh, uh, that was an exhilarating moment. Uh, you did get back in 93, as you mentioned. Um, those early years, those teams were remarkable uh, for yourself to get back there. Unfortunately, it ended with that loss to the Phillies. But it was that pennant race that, to this day, might be the last great pennant race of all time with you and the Giants. McGriff comes over in the middle of it. Uh, give me some thoughts on that because you guys are 10 games back late in the summer and made that push to, again, the final day of the season. Yeah, I mean, Freddie McGriff comes over and, and you know, we – that that put us so much on fire. That was the, his first game over, if you recall. That's when one of the suites got on fire. And we had to cancel the game. You remember that? Oh yeah, in anyway, Fulton County, sure. Yeah. So so that was his first day, day as a Brave. He couldn't even play because of the because of the fire in the in the uh, in the suite. But uh, you know, Freddie McGriff, probably the most humble, quiet superstar you'll ever know. But he he was an uh, absolute hit machine, and we caught fire at the right time. You know, when you have pitching, you're always going to contend. And through those years, you know, now we got Maddox, Glavin, uh, Schmoltz, Avery. I mean, is there any better pitching staff you'd ever want to throw out in the lineup? Probably not. So we all, even though we were so far behind, we always knew that we could catch fire, which we didn't, and uh, uh, went to the playoffs against the Phillies and just fell short. Are you surprised after 93 that your phone didn't ring from some major league teams, or did it? Because I know you ended up playing some independent ball. What uh, what was that offseason like? Well, what it what it did, I I did sign with the Mets and went to the camp with the Mets, but I got uh, unfortunately I got the hook of the handmate injury on my uh, left wrist, and uh, it took a long time to recover, and and I just didn't play that well in spring training. And somebody else did, was a uh, six-year minor league uh, catcher played really well, and, and they released me, and that was it. And you know I'm 35 at the at that time, and I, when you spend seven and a half years in the minor leagues, traveling in buses, and and then you're used to the big leagues, I had some minor league opportunities to to play AAA, and I just mentally was fried out, and I was ready to ready to go back home to Minnesota and and start my new life. What um what was your feeling in '95 watching a lot of your former teammates finally get over that hump? Couldn't be happier for him. I mean, you know, like I mentioned, John Schmoltz and I to this day are, are, are great friends. In fact, just last week, I caddied for him in the Diamond Resorts Tournament in Orlando, which he won. Uh, and and I'm going to caddy for him several more times this year. But uh, I couldn't be any happier for those guys, you know, to uh, uh, to win, have a winning tradition start in 1991 and not have won the World Series yet is is a blemish so you know for those guys to uh continue on and finally win win a world series uh it was something i was very elated for him what about bobby cox i know every time i talk to one of your former teammates they talk about bobby being the biggest influence in their career what did he mean to you well i mean he was just he was the rock he was he, he was the guy at the top of the pyramid he he didn't you know, he he set obtainable goals for everybody, and rules. Uh, 
He didn't do anything outrageous. He just wanted you. When you put the uniform on, that's what you did. You were professional from that st- from that point on. And here, here's a great point. He was so well respected that a guy even like Dion, who loves to wear the flash, and the chains, and the earrings, his Bobby's rule was: you put the you put your uniform on, no jewelry, period. Dion. Not a problem. Justice. All those guys, we didn't have a problem with it because we had that respect for Bobby Cox and how he handled us. You know, he handled us like men, handled us like players, respected us as long as we respected him, and we just played the game. Greg, what was um, your post-baseball career? What was the business side of things for you and let people know what you're up to now? Yeah, so I took a couple of years out, and I managed an in, independent minor league team here in uh, uh, Minnesota. Actually, Kerry Leitenberg, who ended up winning or saving 30 games for the for the Braves, uh, he was one of my uh, players that uh, I recommended to John Shareholtz, and, and uh, he ended up turning out really, pretty well. But did I, did I they did really give you years. bats and balls for that? Yeah, so in, in John Shareholtz's book, he, he, he mentions that his – best trade of all time was when he traded a, uh, a case of bats and a gross of balls for Kerry Lightenberg <laughs> who ended up, you know, saving 30 games uh, for the Braves. So, yes, I did I did trade for bats and balls. That's a good deal. Uh, so when it you, is a great deal. Yeah, when you hung up the cleats finally even from managing, what was uh, the next step? So, so uh, I was very fortunate. My wife and I uh, bought a lot in a Jack Nicholas gated golf course community called Bear Path. Uh, it's it's right in the Minneapolis in, uh, suburb of uh, called Eden Prairie. So basically, uh, it's six miles away from Hazeltine National where they had the Ryder Cup a couple of years ago. So, you know, real close to downtown Minneapolis. So built the house. I actually got my real estate license and started selling the remainder lots that were here uh, at Bear Path. And then I was also selling uh, golf memberships and pool tennis and fitness memberships. And that was my introduction into the country club business. I threw my name in the hat uh, in 2011 to become the general manager of the Bear Path Golf and Country Club. And for the last eight plus years, I've been the general manager. My commute's a minute and a half and life couldn't be any better. Well, I mean, the the career is an unbelievable journey. I mean, it's almost like a, you know, there's a movie angle to that somewhere, Greg, from the from the story. Well, you mind. start the movie. I'll, I'll 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 go with you. I'll pitch it. We got you know, <laughs> folks in Atlanta that are always looking for good scripts. I know this. Every time I ask the listeners, I say, "Who do you want to hear from on the pod?" And we've talked to Smoltz and Chipper and everybody. Your name comes up, so you left an indelible mark with a lot of fans down here. So you should know that. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and the, and, the, and if I wasn't so entrenched and my kids didn't live here in Minneapolis, uh, Atlanta would be the place I'd live. It's a great city, and I'd have uh, no question that uh, I'd do well there just because the people are so nice. Greg, thank you for the time. Great stories, my friend. Continued success, and uh, we appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, so much for taking the time to listen to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. Thanks to our producer, Matt Lear, for his assistance with the program. He's the glue that keeps the operation running. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Atlanta. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets
Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.